Thank you for joining us. Remember, you can watch our services live and view our archive at StevensCreekChurch.com, the Stevens Creek app, or on our Roku channel. And if our ministries have touched your life, we'd love to hear about it. Send us an email to mystory@stevenscreekchurch.com. We hope today's message encourages and inspires you. Enjoy the message. Well, good morning and welcome to Stevens Creek Church. Let me ask you a question. If you could ask God one question, what would it be? Just think about that. If you could ask God one question, what would you ask him? You know, I think all of us have questions. I mean, we wonder how, we wonder why, we wonder when, when is this going to change? I think we question so many times things that go on uh, around us, they go on inside of us. And so that's why we've uh, carved out these few weeks to just ask some questions. And you've been involved in this. Uh, so if you were here on Easter Sunday, many of you filled out uh, questions um, hundreds and hundreds of questions like this. In fact, last week we got another 300 questions. And so uh, we're diving deep into this, and I'll go as quick as I can without being uh, annoying. Okay? Well, maybe not. Uh, here's the first question I'm nine years old. Does the Bible tell me everything? Well, the Bible doesn't tell you everything, it doesn't tell you that you need to close the refrigerator door. Or, or close the cabinet door or pick up your clothes or it doesn't even tell you what kind of fruit roll-ups you should have in your lunchbox. But it does tell you a lot of things about how um, to take your next step toward God. It, it teaches you about uh, good principles. It teaches you about how to get along with people and it teaches you about uh, God's plan uh, for you and God's plan for, um, plan for the world. And so when we, over the next few minutes, I want to talk about questions like that. Now, as we talk about them, there are many of the questions that are, uh, will have answers straight from the Bible. And I'll give you um, uh, the books that, of the Bible that those questions, the answers are coming from. Some questions, I'll give you just my opinion, okay? And when it's my opinion, like I said last week, opinions are like noses. Everybody's got one. And so you've got one. I've got one. I just happen to have the microphone, okay? And so... So let's just dive in. Last week, you know, when we went through all the questions, over and over and over, uh, the questions that I dealt with last week were number one, and that is like, how do I hear God speak, and, and what uh, is God's future for my life, you know? And so we dealt with that. So the other question that was asked over and over and over uh, was a question many of you have heard of before, and maybe you ask it. If there is a loving God, then why is there so much pain and suffering in the world. Now, we all struggle with this question. Now, it takes on different forms. It could mean, why does my granddaddy have cancer? It could mean, uh, why can't uh, we have a baby? Or why can't, um, why does my baby have uh, disabilities? Or why did my baby pass away? That's a, uh, those are really serious, heartfelt questions. A few weeks ago, Patty and I were in Cleveland, Tennessee with her parents, and uh, I have recently joined Ancestry.com, and so I've just uh, just jumped right into that, and so I'm trying to collect all that kind of stuff that some of you have done that, and so I was at their house in Cleveland, and I was going through boxes and boxes of pictures, because in the old days, they're not on a jump drive, 
You know, they're not on a C, uh, CD or DVD, but they're in boxes, shoe boxes, no less. And so you're going through these and looking at those. And I saw a picture that I don't think I have ever seen before. And it's a picture of my wife, Patty, over 30 years ago. This is Patty. And this is our first son, little Marty. Um, and so it's interesting because, you know, in these days you'd see it on Facebook or you'd see something. And apparently they took this picture and then they went back home and they had it developed and I just never saw it. And so 30 plus years later, I see that. And this is our son and he, he died probably three or four or five days after this picture was taken. And so when we talk about suffering and difficulty, I just want to say to you that I get it. I understand. And that um, all of us have different pains and problems. And, and yours may be the loss of a loved one, and, and you may deal with uh, difficulty with a child, or you may deal with a medical condition. There's all of us have issues. So the question is this, if God is a loving God, then why does he allow suffering? Now, there's many ways to answer this, but today I want to give you three uh, very quick answers to this. I think first time, uh, first of all, sometimes we suffer because of sinful choices, sinful choices. You and I uh, make bad choices. We just make bad choices. I mean, if you drink too much alcohol, then you may have a liver problem. You know, if you eat the wrong food, you may have a heart issue. If, you, if you're unprincipled, you may end up with an STD. If you have a poor work ethic, maybe you won't have a job next week. And so we have those things that are unfolding in our lives. And it's often uh, we, have, we take the time to blame God for that. God, why did you do this? When all along it is our choices, it is our decisions. In fact, this is the message of Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 and 8. It said, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. He reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh, well, from their flesh, they're going to reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, uh, from the Spirit, they will reap eternal life. And so, some of the suffering that we have, direct result of the choices that we made, okay? We blew it. We made the wrong choice. All that. You get that, right? But sometimes, it's because of the choices somebody else made, and we are the victims of those choices. We're the victims, you know, uh, of somebody else made a decision to uh, drive intoxicated and uh, our, our friend, our loved one was killed by a drunk driver. That's a, a suffering that's not their fault, not, but it's, it is somebody's fault. It's that person uh, that decided to get behind the wheel that day. And so we, some of the choices other people make affect us. How about this? You know, it's the shooter that goes into a classroom at UNC uh, Charlotte and makes a decision to take a gun in the classroom and kill people. It's not those students' fault. I mean, they're just trying to get ready for final exams. Or how about the CEO that is so greedy and crooked that he, bl he bled the company of its resources and caused the company to file bankruptcy while he went off and lived the high life. And now hundreds of families are suffering because of a decision he made. Okay, so we suffer sometimes because of sinful choices. Sometimes it's what we make, and other times it's what people 
do and we um, suffer because of their decisions. Okay, I said there's three things. I said this, uh, this, sometimes we suffer because of the prince of darkness. The prince of darkness, you have an enemy. His name is Satan or the devil, and he is the prince of darkness. The Bible tells us that every good gift and every perfect gift comes down from the father of life. Within him, there's no shadow of turning. Okay, it also says this, John 10 and 10. It says, the thief comes not but to steal, kill, and destroy. Satan is the thief, and his work is to steal, kill, and destroy. And so, a lot of times, we suffer because of a satanic attack. Now, I am not the kind of person that if you sneeze, I'm going to go grab a bottle of anointing oil and go uh, cast out the demon of allergy. I'm just not going to do that. You have allergies because of something I'm going to talk about in a few minutes. Um, but it's not necessarily you've been possessed by the demon of allergies, okay? So just understand that. But there are times uh, when God gives permission where the enemy can come in and afflict you. We see an example of this in Job, the Old Testament, chapter 2 and verse 7. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and what? He afflicted Job. Okay, if you're new to the Bible, we pronounce this Job. In America, we would say job, okay? And so some of you are afflicted with your job, but this is really (laughs) Job, okay? This is Job. Afflicted Job with painful sores. I'm still talking about your job. Painful sores from the soles of his feet to the crown of his head. You know, oftentimes I pray for people to be healed, and I I use those words, from the crown of his head to the soles of his feet. And so, um, but... At that point, Satan goes and brings an affliction to that. Um, And so, as you know, over the last year, I've suffered with chest pains. And I've been going to doctor after doctor. And I told you the story. I've been to Mayo Clinic, all this, trying to figure out what that is. And and thankfully, I've only had one episode in the last, since January 27th. So I'm doing much, much better. But it is kind of funny. I was, two weeks ago, I was in... um, I was in for a checkup at university, and so I'm in this waiting room, and you know, uh, or not this room, this exam room, um, in this small exam room, and Augusta's a small town, a small city, and we're a larger church, and so there's a lot of people that know me that I don't know them, and so I'm waiting there, you know, for the doctor to come in. All of a sudden, the nurse pops in and said, oh, so you're the pastor of Stevens Creek. I said, yes, ma'am. She said, take off your shirt. I'm thinking... <laughs> Of course, I took off my shirt. She said, oh, it looks like you've been to the beach. <laughs> she saw stripes on me. And so anyway, it was, uh, <laughs> it was funny. So I don't think, um, you know, is my challenge, uh, you know, why am I wrestling with that? It, it could be an attack of the enemy. I think there are times that Satan attacks you with physical ailments. It could be, very practically, just I internalize stress. You know, I'm kind of an even kill person. In fact, somebody wrote a question last week to, and marked it to Patty and said, does Marty ever get mad? Well, I seldom, I get mad all the time, but nobody knows that. I just internalize that, and that's not good for you, so don't do that. Um, but, so sometimes those attacks or those, those things affect you. Here's the third thing. Sometimes we suffer because of the natural laws of a fallen world. When God created the world, Um, He set in order natural laws, okay? 
Some of you are scientists. You understand the natural laws of the universe. Uh, In Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve introduced sin into the world. And ever since then, the creation has been contaminated. We see an example of this or words about this in Romans chapter 8 and verse 20. It says, against his will... All creation was subjected to God's curse, the curse of sin. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom uh, from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning. All creation is grown as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. The whole creation is looking forward to, uh, to a new heaven and a new earth. And so a lot of times we suffer just like the creation is suffering under the curse. And so when we start thinking about the natural orders, um, the earth is under a curse and therefore we have hurricanes and therefore we have tornadoes and therefore we have storms that wreak havoc across that. Therefore we have uh, germs and sickness and cancers and diseases all because of the curse of this world. This world is not heaven, okay? This world, um, the Bible says that we're just uh, passing through. Our home is uh, in a better place. So let me say this. God rarely intervenes in miraculous fashion to defy the laws of nature that he set up. God rarely intervenes in those. There is an occasion when he does. There's an occasion, I believe, that when, when a storm, people are praying uh, that God would uh, redirect the storm, and, and I've seen uh, examples of that to happen. There are other times in the Bible where Jesus would look at a storm and said, peace be still, and would stop the storm. So there are times when uh, the natural order of things are changed, but this is rare um, in my lifetime, in, in my worldview. Now, when we think about that, we... Uh, I say this very frequently, that God never wastes a pain and he never wastes a problem. But God will use that pain, that problem, that suffering that we're going through to grow us up and to give him glory. And so Paul reminds us of this. He said, I consider our present sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us. God is... um, Uh, The glory, the glory, that is God's presence, God's presence in us, God's glory in us. So our present sufferings are bad, but God has a a better plan. He uh, he is working things out. He's bringing something good to that. Now, I want to go back to the story about our first son that passed away. Now, when we were going through that grief, there were really two things that I remember that helped push us uh, through that. And at times, honestly, you know that. You, some of you are suffering grief right now. And sometimes you, you have to be pushed through it because you're just, you're so weak and, and worn that you just can't get through it. And, you, and God pushes you through that to get through that. I would say grieve, breathe, and then receive the strength of the Lord. Okay, so just grieve that loss. And it may not be a loss of a loved one. It could be a loss of a, a dream, a loss of a career, a loss of a relationship. It, it's still a loss. Just, just grieve that loss. I want you to just take a breath. Breathe. 
and then to receive what the Lord has for you. But when we were going through that, there are two things. There was a story that I heard, and then there was a scripture that really means a lot. I heard the story of um, Pierre Renoir, which is a French Impressionist artist that was born in the mid-1800s. And when he was in his 50s, he developed, he was just hitting his stride as an artist. And he was the leader in Paris and so forth of, of this art movement. As he's hitting his stride, he developed rheumatoid arthritis. And it really affected him. It affected him. And it got worse when he was trying to ride a bicycle. He had a bike wreck, broke his arm. And then it seems like it just caused the rheumatoid arthritis to get worse and worse. Um, to the point where uh, in uh, 1912... Uh, he had a stroke, and he became wheelchair-bound. And so he is wheelchair-bound and in great pain, but he continued to paint. And he lived the last uh, decade of his life in this condition, just in great pain in a wheelchair, uh, but refusing to give up on life. And so he continued to paint, and one day... Uh, but as he painted, it was such excruciating pain. And one day, one of his understudies, Henry uh, Matisse, watched him. And he saw him in such pain that his, his uh, fingers were turned in so much that they had to put bandages on his fingers because they, they went into the palm of his hands. And so they would do that uh, to protect his, the palm of his hands. Then they'd put the paintbrush in. And then they'd wrap it so that he could hold the paintbrush in his hand to continue the paint. And finally, uh, Henry Matisse said, uh, Pierre, why are you doing this? Why do you continue to paint when you're in such agony? And uh, Renoir said to them, these are famous words. He said, the pain passes, but the beauty remains forever. You may want to write that down. The pain passes, but the beauty remains forever. The pain passes. And we heard that as we were going through that, and we understood that, yeah, the pain of this grief, the pain is going to pass but the beauty of the relationship is going to last in our hearts forever. And so we, kind of, we now look at it, you know, on the other side, we see that we've made a deposit, an investment in heaven. And so we understand the pain passage. Now, I said there's two things. The second thing is we just, in those days, we held on to Romans chapter 8 and verse 28. Romans chapter 8 and verse 28. Um, many of you know this. And we know that in all things what God works for the good God works for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. And I would just say to you, those of you that are going through difficult times and going through suffering, God is working out good. Start looking for the good. Start looking tomorrow, maybe this afternoon. Start looking for something good. Everything is not bad in your life. There are some good things. You're here today. That is a good thing. And so this week, as you go to work, I want you to start looking for something good. Okay, here's the third question. Why do dinosaurs, uh, where do dinosaurs, excuse me, where do dinosaurs fit into the scheme of creation? Now, amazingly, several people asked this question. And so, um, and so I thought, okay, I mean, several, you know, more than a handful. How about that? And so the answer comes from two categories. It comes from evolutionists and it comes from creationists. Evolutionists believe that dinosaurs lived and died and they were extinct 60 million years before uh, man even evolved, okay? That's from evolution. 
creationists would say that the dinosaurs and, and man lived at the same time. In fact, they were created on day six of creation. And say, really? So what is the Bible? Does the Bible um, say anything about dinosaurs? Well, it doesn't use the word dinosaur because the word dinosaur was not created until 1840, okay? But it talks about some things that makes you scratch your head and say, well, that could be like a dinosaur. Job chapter 40 and verse 15. Now, interesting thing, uh, this is that same word, uh, the same book. It's all about uh, your job, but it's really Job. Okay. Now, here's the interesting thing. Most of us, when we pick up a Bible, we think Genesis was the first book ever written in the Bible. Well, that's pretty logical, but it's not exactly true. Scholars feel like Job actually was the first book written, even though it was not placed at the beginning because it didn't deal with creation. Um, So, but it said, uh, look at the behemoth, which I made along with you and which feeds on the grass like an ox, what strength he has in his loins, what power in the muscles of his belly. Look at this next verse. His tail sways like a cedar. Now, just be real practical. If, if he's talking about an elephant, he's going to say his tail was like a rope, right? Not like a cedar, a big cedar. They talk about the huge trees. They call them the cedars of Lebanon in the Old Testament, okay? So his tail swells like, uh, sways like a huge cedar. Uh, the sinews of his thighs are, are close-knit. His bones are tubes. His, bone, his bones now are tubes of bronze, his limbs like rods of iron. No doubt, this is a big animal. Could be in the dinosaur category, okay? Um, Isaiah 27, Leviathan, the gliding serpent, Leviathan, the coiling serpent, he will slay the monster of the sea. Um, Some people say, oh, that's just a crocodile or a whale, but the Hebrew language has distinct words for both of these that would lead it to more like a dinosaur-like creature. Uh, Isaiah 30 says the viper and the fiery flying serpent. Um, And so that could be another dinosaur-like creature. Now, so we look at these, and it goes back to creation. I believe, this is my personal belief, in a young earth. And um, I believe that God created it in seven days. Now, I'm not going to fight you over, uh, was it each day a thousand years? Could be, because the Bible says as a day with the Lord is like a thousand years. And so, could be, I'm not going to do that. But I think God has the power to speak, and God can create with his, his word. And so, if you believe in the creation, and look at a seven day that they were created, how, why aren't they here? Simple. They died in the flood. So, again, uh, that's my viewpoint on that. Um, There's a lot of smart people that know more than I do, so I wouldn't write any thesis or quote me in any research paper on that one. (laughs) Okay? You kind of go and figure that one out on your own, okay? But that's kind of where I believe, and I think scriptures back us up on that. And some of you say, man, I didn't know that. That could be dinosaurs in the Bible. Maybe so. Okay, here's the next one. Will there be animals in heaven? Uh, dogs, yes. Cats, no. <laughs> Just kidding for your cat lovers. You say, Marty, why do you hate on cats? Well, uh, you know, I, I've, I've been going through a traumatic experience with a cat. Um, 
I'm somewhat kidding, but not really. Um, and so 19, June of 1980, I was uh, just finished my freshman year at Lee College, and I went on a missions trip to upstate New York with five other classmates, and I was leading this trip. And so we were going around churches of God up in there uh, in New York, you know, witnessing and preaching and this kind of stuff. So we landed in Perry, New York, a little old bitty town, a little old bitty church. The pastor lived in uh, this house, uh, had four people in his family, one bathroom, and then six college kids move in with him for three days, okay? So they had one bathroom. There's 10 of us using this bathroom. Now, there was kind of a lot of weirdness going on, okay? A lot of weirdness going on. Like when we got there, uh, um, the pastor's wife said, now, if you hear anything moving upstairs, um, we got a demon that lives upstairs. I'm thinking, oh, my goodness, I've come, I'm from Abbeville. Uh, you know, we're not used to having those demons living upstairs. said, yeah, we don't know his name, so we just call him George. Um, and he's a demon of lust. And, and so I said, oh, my goodness, I'm, I'm staying in a parsonage that has a demon of lust, and his name is George. Okay. And so that's a true story. And... Um, and so we were leaving there on Wednesday to go back uh, to Niagara Falls uh, to work in Love Canal. And if you're really old, and you'll know about Love Canal. But um, so I said, I'm going to get up before everybody else. I'm going to be the first one in the bathtub. I'm not going to wait to be number 10. Okay, so I got up before everybody. I went into the bathroom, I looked in the bathtub, and there's a cat sleeping in the bathtub. There he's sleeping. He's got cat food, cat hair, all the stuff, you know, going on with that. And I'm thinking, oh, Lord, you know, I'm not used to this. And so I got picked up the cat, let it sleep beside the bathtub. And uh, I said, God, you said you'd meet my needs. And, and I opened it, I found some comet and found some other stuff, and I scrubbed that bathtub good. And... Um, so then I start washing my hair in this old cloth-style bathtub. Uh, I'm in there, and I hear this knock on the door. It's the pastor's wife. She said, let me in, let me in. I said, I'm taking a bath. And she said, let me in. I said, let me in. I said, I am taking a bath. And she said, is that cat still in there? I said, yeah, he's sleeping beside the bathtub. I said, he ain't sleeping. He's D-E-A-D. I said, what, dead? She said, shut up. The kids might hear you. So there I am taking a bath with a dead cat. <laughs> so if I'm not looking for cats in heaven, maybe I am slanted the wrong way. You love your cats. So let's answer the question. The Bible really doesn't give us any specifics about where your pet will be in heaven or not. Some of you think mine will, yours won't, because, you know, some of them <laughs> appear to be demon-possessed. But... Um, but let's just be real practical. I love to be just real logical about this, okay? Let's use some logic. When the Bible talks about Jesus coming back a second time, he is riding on a white horse, okay? He's on a white horse. So we know there's horses, okay? Horses made it. Cats may not, but horses made it. Um, but maybe cats did because we turn to Isaiah chapter 65 and 25. It says the wolf and the lamb will feed together and the lion. Oh, my goodness, the lion's a cat family. So, yeah, cats made it. <laughs> the lion, the cat family's made it, will eat straw like the ox and thus uh, will be on the serpent's food. And they will neither harm. They'll all be nice to each other. Okay. They'll neither harm nor destroy on what? My holy mountain. 
um, says the Lord. So I believe that this scripture would tell us or will indicate that yes, there would uh, will be um, animals in the afterlife. And I'll deal more with the afterlife in the coming weeks. But now is the lightning round, okay? The lightning round, and I'll just try to do this as quick as possible because our time is limited, but some are interested. Is all prophecy fulfilled? No, there's more things to come. Um, Mm. What do you think um, that Jesus wrote in the sand when people wanted to stone the adulterous woman? Oh, that's interesting. What did he write? He, he sat down and wrote, and then as he was writing, people left. Here's what I think. This is me, my opinion, my, my nose. Everybody's got one. I think he was probably writing the names of everybody that slept with her. I mean, wouldn't you hate to be standing there and have your name written up there? Oh, my goodness. We've got to get out of here quick. We've got to be, get out of there quick. And so, if you want to disperse a crowd, you know, just write out whoever's been sleeping with the woman who is caught in the act of adultery. I don't know. That is, again, my opinion on that. Do not cite me in your research or Facebook on that one. Okay, do unicorns exist in the Bible? No, they do not exist. However, Wikipedia says that Greek natural history said there are actually uniform, unicorns, and they're from India. I don't know if that's true. Okay, uh, we don't hear a lot about it from Joseph, Jesus' father. What's up with him? Many people feel like that Joseph died um, at an early age because we see Joseph, when Jesus was 12 years old, uh, and Jesus was at the temple interacting with the religious leaders. But then when Jesus goes into his public ministry, um, his mother uh, was at a wedding, and they ran out of uh, wine, and she went to Jesus. Normally, the wife would go to the husband. So that's an indication that Joseph had died. Um, okay, in our postmodern culture, uh, age of the church, is the business model of the church biblical? Um, interesting. I, I would imagine you're thinking about Stevens Creek in that. Um, I think when you're looking for a church, uh, the, the, church needs to, the business of the church needs to be the business of reaching lost people, okay? But very practically, is the business model okay? We are a business. You know, when you think about the the thousands of people that come through these doors and just the employees that we have and all of that. Yes, this is a business, but it's more than that. It's, it's a ministry. And I think when you start looking for churches, you need to look for authenticity. You need to look for a group of people that have a spiritual hunger. You need to have a people that, that, that yearn for, to believe God and have faith. I think you need to find yourself in a sense of community because if you're going to grow in Christ, you need to be connected with other people. Um, I think you need to look for a group of people or a church that gives back um, and that's relevant to your life. And so you start to look at those things. And, yeah, that's, sometimes the church is, is like a business. Um, but here's the good thing about that. It means that things are done decently and in order and that you can trust, um, you can trust the leadership and you can trust the structure. So... That, Bring it on. Okay. Um, okay. So some of these, and, and this is you. My heart just breaks for you. Um, why do women leave a godly man and get engaged to somebody six weeks later? 
Okay, that's a real question. Okay, let me just say this with all the tenderness I can to say to you that a relationship that you thought you haven't, you were having, um, was only in your mind and not in reality. And so, uh, no doubt that the relationship was probably going on behind the scenes. And I just want to encourage you to uh, just to forgive. And look at it this way. Could it be that God had that person walk out of your life so that the right person could walk in? Just think about that. Sometimes you've got to let some people leave so the right people can come in. And so I'm sorry for your loss, and that's a real question. Um, you know, here's another one. How do you resolve conflict with somebody um, who does not see their wrong? Well, you know, sometimes you just can't. But here's what you do. You go to that person. You try to state your case. They don't hear you. You get a couple of friends. You go with them and try to state it again. You know, it's that Matthew 18. But uh, Romans would say this. As far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Now, here's the bottom line. Some people don't want to live at peace with you. Some people are just mean. And so uh, I would just say, just protect yourself. Don't be a punching bag, uh, you know. And when you in, go into those relationships with those mean people, just guard yourself. But you can't live guarded all with everybody or you're going to be lonely. So you've got to learn how uh, to discern mean people from nice people, okay? And, and some people you can't get away from because the mean people, you know, are your relatives. And so, uh, <laughs> and so you just got to learn how to handle that, okay? I'm sorry, just truth. How soon is it, how soon is too soon to get remarried? Okay. Uh, people, uh, this is interesting. So how soon is too soon? Well, there's a lot of questions. I wrote all kinds of questions on this. I'm like, okay, are you living together? Good question. If you're living together uh, and you're playing house, oh, come on, let's jump on it. Let's do it now. In fact, I'll bring that up. If, if you are playing house and you'd like to get married, now, there's, there's a lot of different reasons people live together, a lot of difference, okay? Um, and so, I just don't want one of them to be that you, you don't have enough money to get married. A lot of different reasons. I just don't want one of them to be you don't have enough money to get married. And so, um, we want to kind of take that off the table. And if you'll send a note to info at stevenscreekchurch.com or you'll go to our... Um, Web page and to the signups and sign up to get married. We're going to have a one day. We'll offer, uh, we'll supply all the, um, the refreshments, invitations, the music, and I guarantee you it'll be the best music of any wedding that you've been to. Um, unless Todd and April's done that, your, that wedding too. But um, anyway, we'll do that for you. And so, uh, but it's got to be on the same day. Um, so, back to this question. How soon is too soon to get remarried? I typically say to people, you need to wait four seasons. Watch that person through summer, winter, fall, uh, and spring. Uh, I should say, really, spring, summer, fall, and winter, but I didn't say it that way. Um, and so, just think about it in that way. Um, now, I didn't do that. Patty and I got married within six months after our first date, but here's what you can do to get around what I just told you. Uh, I fasted without food for 28 days and prayed two hours a day. Um, and then after I did that, um, uh, I felt like as Lord saying, getting married, it, it's worked out for us. And, um, and so uh, you can start tomorrow. <laughs> or you can wait four seasons. Okay. Um, okay. 
How do I get over the fear of losing my parents for getting married? I'm engaged without their blessing. We tried to earn their blessing. We tried to earn their parents' blessings for over a year. Oh, my heart just hurts. Oh, my heart hurts for the individual. My heart hurts for the parents. And so, you know, that's a, that's probably deserves a longer conversation. Um, you know, are there religious re- reasons and, and all of this? What's the issue there? Uh, but in the end, the Bible says you leave and cleave. You leave your mother and father and you cleave unto your spouse. And so it could be that... Um, there are some really legitimate issues, and let's say you're the parent, and, and you don't like it because they've been uh, playing house for all these years, and now they want to have a, a wedding with a white dress and all that. You know, I would just say, take a deep breath, and uh, let's kind of bend the rules on the, um, the etiquette. You know, that just doesn't matter. What matters is the relationship with the people involved. What matters is your relationship with your child, okay? That's what really matters when it's all said and done. And um, somebody said, you know, you know, should I attend a gay wedding? Because I don't believe that's right. And I would say, um, again, go back to last week. You're not being your presence there. Don't, don't think too much of yourself that your presence there is, in, is endorsing the whole agenda and the lifestyle of that community. Your presence there is to say to that loved one, I love you. And they, that loved one needs to understand your presence there does not mean that you're endorsing everything that's going on. But I'm telling you, people matter. And, and your loved ones matter. And, and yet, yeah, you're going to disagree with them. But is there any way that you can just show up and love them even though you don't agree with them? Okay, that's just, you know, and those are hard, hard, hard calls. And, and uh, I could probably, you know, I, I can see it both ways on that. Um, you know, none of us agree with everything. But if you build that chasm between you and that son or daughter or brother or sister or whatever, if, if it becomes so wide, it'll be so hard to build that bridge. And I just want you to be a bridge builder. I just want you that, that some season in that person's life that just they may come and say, you know, I've tried to do it on my own and it just didn't work and, and I know I just need help and that you would be that one. That you'd be that one. Yeah, those are hard. Okay, speaking of hard, you want another one? Okay, if I have been unfaithful to my husband and it has been years ago, and my husband does not know, and I have not done it again, must I tell my husband in order to be saved? Okay, next question. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, that was, that's deep. That's deep. I made all kind of notes on that one there. Um, and so, let me say this. Um, my initial reaction in what is godly and pure not the same. My re- reaction is like, no, don't tell him. And, you know, I sat down with Patty and I read that question to Patty and she said, of course you tell him. And she said, what do you want to know? Because, I mean, a relationship is built on integrity and truth. And I said, Patty, I want to love you. I want to love the person I think you are, <laughs> not the person you really are. So, um, but that is the wrong answer. So let me tell you, that is the wrong answer, okay? 
to the camera. All the pastors that are watching, that's the wrong answer. <laughs> the right answer is that relationships are built on truth and honesty, and you shouldn't have, um, you should not have secrets because it's going to hinder your relationship. But I want you to think practically about this, okay? I want you to, when you tell this person, I want you to have it in a safe place, like in a counselor's office. I want you to make this decision uh, fully understanding uh, the result of this. How is it going to affect the, that other spouse? And let's just be practical. Is that person prone to anger? Is that person prone to, uh, to be vindictive? You've got to be practical about this too. Is that person, does that person have emotional stability? What kind of state of mind is that person going to be in when you drop this bombshell? And, and I do believe confession, uh, one to another, you know, uh, you'll find a healing. And confession is good. And I need you, you need to confess it. But you need to confess it to a counselor and work through that. You need to confess it to a pastor and then take the next step and figuring out the right words to say. I believe the truth will set you free. So here's the reality of it. And I know I've gone over, but this is important. Here's the reality. So apparently, this is very practically, and, and I don't know if that person's here or watching online or whatever. If you took time to write that question out, it's a good possibility God is prompting you to do something. If you took time to do that, there's a good possibility the Lord is, is prompting you to do that. And so I would just encourage you, and I just say, may the Lord be with you. Um, and there's, there's hope on the other side. Now, what if, you're, what if that other person says, oh, baby, don't worry about it. I've done that several times. You know, <laughs> what are you going to say? little dose of reality there. So you got to be, you got to understand um, because a lot of times we think we're hiding things and we're not. But I do know this, when we try to hide things from the Lord, the Lord eventually will shine the light on that and those things that are hidden eventually will come out. Whew, that was a big one, wasn't it? Okay. If you have any questions on uh, parenting, motherhood, business, women working or all that, uh, and you want to ask, I think I'm going to have Patty up here next week. Not, not 100% sure. She's about 50-50 on that. She, this is not her deal. You know, she, she works in the children's ministry, uh, um, but she doesn't want to be on stage. But I think, so if you ask, she may. Um, so somebody asked this question. This is my last one because I am six minutes and 45 seconds over. Um, said, okay, Marty, you're asking us, here it is, I want to ask uh, what is the biggest question God or Jesus has for me? Okay, you know, instead of you asking God a question, does God have a question for me? I thought, man, that's a great question. So does God have a question for you? Well, he probably has a lot of questions. Here's two to think about. When you stand before God one day and give an account of your life, God's going to ask you two questions. Some of you are getting ready for final exams. This is your final exam. And the good thing about this final exam, I'm giving you the questions. And so you can get the answers. And so here's the two questions I believe God's going to ask you. He's going to say, why should I let you into heaven? And your answer is because I trusted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Okay, check. Okay, you say, okay, that's all. What's the next question? The next question I believe is, what did you do with what I gave you? What did you do with what I gave you? I think that's a question of stewardship. 
You know, we all have time, talents, treasures. We have abilities, all that stuff. What are you doing with that? And so those are the questions I think that, that God would ask us. I want to ask the ushers to come forward uh, and prepare to receive the uh, uh, tithes and offerings. I had one question in here. I said, why do you say um, the Bible says it's God's tithe in our offerings, but Marty, you don't say that all the time. And I just said, Jesus, you, you got me. Um, and so uh, they were correcting me on how I received the offering. And I'm okay with that if you give. Okay. I, I thought this is interesting too. Man, I'll just go on all day. Um, how about this one? Why don't we celebrate the holy days that Jesus celebrated? That's an easy one. We're not Jewish. So some of these are rocket science questions. Some of them are not. It's just practical. You're not a Jew. And so Jesus was a Jew, and he was Jewish. Now we're Christians. We follow in his footsteps. Okay. And so one thing uh, that we uh, do is we bring our offerings to him, our tithe. First uh, Corinthians says, on the first day of the week, let us set aside a sum of money in keeping with our income. And so we do that. So uh, if you're visiting with us, this is a regular part of what we do. Um, we bring offerings or we return the Lord's tithe and we do that. Sometimes we do it here or we do it online or we do it at the kiosk. I want to say thank you so much for your generosity. I'm going to pray over the offering, but in addition to that, I'm going to pray over you. Because these are real questions that we just said. And they went, you know, we can look at them and, um, and we can feel the pain. Because some of you have been in those conversations that these people have got to have. And, and you don't wish that on anybody. Because you remember the loneliness and the hurt and the difficulty. Some of you have been suffering and, and you just have wondered, you know, why is it that everybody else gets to go out here but I can't because I'm not able to? And you feel that. I'm sorry for your suffering. I am. And I just want you to grieve your loss. I want you to take a breath and breathe. And I want you to receive what God has for you, okay? Let's pray. Father, I pray that your strength and healing would rest upon this audience. And that you'll touch them exactly where they are. To those who are in relational issues, they have problems with prodigals, they have problems at work with people, mean people. I just pray, God, that you'd give us strength, that you'd give us healing. And so, Lord, right now, we receive the Spirit of God. And so we ask the Spirit of God to move upon this congregation to touch you right where you are and to bring healing, to bring restoration, to bring life, and to bring hope. I pray that over you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen. God bless you. Thanks for listening. If you would like to help support the ministries of Stevens Creek Church, please go to stevenscreekchurch.com and click the Give button. See you next time.